Well, our softball team's playing in Cincinnati, and uh, you guys play later today. They had to make up because of rain, and, and uh, they were one and one yesterday, and uh, did pretty good for the first uh, first game and second game they played. And uh, yeah, he came back, and so they're representing well. I told them the shirts look really good, and. Uh, no, they did. They played well. I was proud of them, and they just look like they're having a good time and loving each other, which is important. You know, it's Labor Day weekend, and Labor Day has historically been that end of the summer. Uh, you're, you're back to the grind of life. You're used to be when kids go back to school after Labor Day. Now they go back to school at the end of July, it seems like, but uh, it used to be after Labor Day was when you'd return to school, and vacation season was over. It, it kind of marked the end of the... Uh, the, the atypical summer to the more typical fall and winter and spring routine. And it's been an unusual month for the, the Mills family in, in a lot of ways. We, uh, Spencer and I, at the end of July, went on a work and witness trip to, uh, the, to um, Sun Valley, Native American Christian Academy in Sun Valley, Arizona, and we spent a week there with, with people from our church, and we're going to talk more about that on September 29th on our celebration Sunday, but went to the Grand Canyon, and you know, the Grand Canyon's really grand. I mean, it's, it's big. It's, it's, uh, I saw it 40 years ago. It's about the same size as when I saw it 40 years ago, and it was pretty awesome. Who's been to the Grand Canyon? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, it's a little bit overwhelming, actually, as you stand in the, the edge and pretend you're pushing people off like everybody does when they're there, and uh, but we had a great time there, and, and, and then I had a week, I was in the routine, and I preached, and, and then we, we went to, to uh, Rocky, Mount, Arizona, Rocky Mount, North Carolina, to, to gain a daughter. Now, when I talked about that, I must have used my phraseology wrong. I was talking about gain, getting a new daughter, and, and the rumor began to spread that Terry was expecting a child. Uh, Lord forbid. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lord, that, that would have been really unusual. Uh, no, we're, we're not having more kids. We were gaining a daughter. Uh, my son got married, and, and so we had a great time at, at a wedding, and, and there, there's the wedding picture, and we just beautiful bride and, and handsome groom. You know, I'm a little bit biased with the groom and the bride, but we just had a great time together. All the family was there, and uh, Dylan zoomed into that picture. I think I posted on social media, and he zoomed in the picture and said that I'm standing on Dana's dress. I am not uh, standing on Dana's dress, but we, we just had a, a great time in, in North Carolina with, with my family and, and uh, their family, and, and we just had a great time at the wedding. And then we went from there to Carolina Beach, and, and so this was my view outside of our condo. It was Who loves the beach? I love the beach. Matter of fact, I think we need to have like ocean sounds going during sermon. I think it'd make people feel just better. And we just had a great time on the beach. And, you know, I, I have a, a kind of a, a typical beach routine. I lay on the beach until I'm really, really hot. And then I get in the water till I'm cooled down. And then I lay on the beach until I'm really hot. And then I get in the water until I cool. And I do that for eight, 10 hours. So, you know, I, I love the beach. I did no running on the beach because I didn't get up in time and I was not going to run when it was 150 degrees on the beach. I'm not that dedicated. I'm not that all in, I guess. 
And so I've got some catching up to do now that I'm getting back into my routine. But we, we just had a great time uh, on the beach. It started with, with um, Wyatt and Priscilla and Spencer and Terry and I. And then Wyatt and Priscilla went back to Portland. Then it was just poor Spencer with, with us. And he got to spend the, the week with me. And, and Dylan and Dana went to Disney World for their honeymoon. And they, they had a great time there. And Dylan texted me when he got back the Monday after and said, we're really missing Disney World. <laughs> and he said, matter of fact, we're missing it so much. You can get an app and find out how long it takes to, to wait for a ride. They were looking at the app to see how long it took to get on Space Mountain. I said, back to life, buddy. This is, this is real life. Honeymoon is over. <laughs> She'll look at you in a completely different light from now on. And then it's back to the ordinary. Matter of fact, we came back and Spencer instantly, I mean, matter of fact, school started the week we were gone and and then Spencer started school that Monday and back back to to jobs and back to chores. And and so we missed the routine so much and, and, you know, we had to replace the sun. And so Terry got this, her first pet. That's right, we got a golden doodle, a Kobe, He's, he's four months old, and he's, um, we were told, I was told that when you scold a golden doodle, they pout. And the first time I scolded him, sure enough, he went and pouted and wouldn't even look at me. And, you know, you know but he doesn't pout anymore. He just keeps doing what he wants to do. Uh, and what he wants to do, apparently, is eat worms and bugs in the yard and, uh, and then make himself sick doing it. So, you know, there's nothing like a dog that will remind you of the ordinary. Every time I'm walking down the street with a bag in my hand, picking up what the dog relieves behind, I'm reminded how ordinary I am, okay? <laughs> Nothing gets you back in the routine more than walking a dog on the street and saying, good boy, when they do what everything does. reminds us that we're ordinary. And I believe Dr. Perdue said last week, most of us live mainly in the routine and the ordinary than the extraordinary, right? <laughs> most of life happens in the ordinary. And so we've just finished this Immerse series, and this is kind of a, you know, kind of a a stepping point off that as we begin to look at some different things. And, and, and I, want, I want you to be reminded of that because I think it's important for us as a church. And it's how do we immerse our, how should we immerse ourselves in the routine of life? How should we be routine missionaries? Missionaries in the routine and the ordinary life. How, how should we live our lives to make a difference even in ordinary life? And, and as I understand holiness, and we talked about holiness last week, right? Holiness is not about special times. It's about special people who make all times special. Okay, that that allow God to invade their life, that wherever they find themselves, God is present and God is moving because God is present and moving in people who have allowed his Holy Spirit to fill him, fill them. And so there's this ideal that, that God wants to redeem our ordinary lives, the routines of our life. He wants to rearrange them. You, you ever hear the phrase, Workplace missionary. <laughs> Anybody ever hear that phrase? 
Hey, you know, when, when, when I hear that phrase, I have good thoughts and bad thoughts, right? We, we've all experienced that, that positive workplace missionary that, that people trust and, and people know. And, and when people have prayer concerns, they, they take him to, to him or her that, that, that they really model Jesus Christ. And we've also experienced those people that don't model it as effectively, that, that they're workplace missionaries and they thump people in the face with their Bibles and they don't model what Jesus lived. But, but there is this ideal that we are workplace missionaries, that we are missionaries in our school, that we are missionaries in our community, in our neighborhoods, in the places where we shop the places where we get our gas. I believe God intends us to be missionaries wherever we find ourselves. See, I, I believe we live in an age more than maybe any other age. 30 years ago, most people, 30 years ago, most people had some association with the church. Right? In our culture, 30 years ago, most people had at least a family member that had taken them to church or they had been to church at some point. More and more, we live in an age, folks, where people have no understanding, no concept, no connection with church or Christianity, other than what they see on television or what they've heard or what they perceive. And so many people perceive Christians as what? Small-minded, rigid, judgmental. That's not my experience. Is it yours? <laughs> you know, I have met the most loving people you could experience in church. But more and more, our culture is beginning to stereotype us and prejudge us. And so more and more, I believe, the church needs to be seen in the public. That Christians need to be seen in the public eye. And I don't mean just a, the words of Christianity, but we need to model what it means to be Christian in the routine, ordinary lives that we live in our workplace, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, live a life of obedience and purity and beauty and holiness in such a way that when people look at you, the only person they can give praise to is God. That, that, that they'll realize that the way you do your work, the way you love your family, the way you love your neighbors, the way you serve your community, the, the way you live in the public eye gives honor to God. St. Francis is attributed with saying, Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Now, now I've, I've heard this quote almost my entire life, and, and whether St. Francis said it or not is, is really questionable. But, but I like the quote anyhow, so we'll use it. Because <laughs> I think there's some, uh, there's some truth to this. 
And those of you who are introverts out there are jumping up and down, but you wouldn't do it outside because, you know, you don't have to use words. You can just be, I'm a silent witness. Who's used that phrase? I am just a silent witness. You know, we, we like being silent witnesses because we don't have to say anything. <laughs> and I think there's, a, there's an importance. There's, there, there's something that happens when we really model it. Can, can we completely be a silent witness? Without a preacher, how will they know? Without someone sharing, how will they know? And so, so I still believe, even if you're modeling this, there will come in a time in your life where you will have to give credit where credit's due. Well, you're, you will have to acknowledge that God is the source of your goodness, not your parents. That it wasn't just the way you were raised, but that somehow the God of the universe, this, this God that we sang about, that created all things, that gave His Son's life for us, that, that somehow He has invaded our life and He has changed us from the inside out. And so God deserves the glory, not us. In the early church, they struggled with the routine. After all, Jesus had changed everything. He had turned the Jewish religion upside down. He had turned culture upside down. So so the early church struggled in a lot of ways with, with how do we live as new creations? How do we live when there's no Jew or Gentile or there's male or female? How do we live in the midst of this kingdom that has seemingly changed all of our, the structure of life? And so what you found in, in the early church that they, they, were, they were realizing they were new creations, but they were stuck in the routine of a dull, boring, unfruitful marriage. Or they were involved in in a work relationship or a slave. They were slaves even though Jesus had set them free. And so the early church struggled with. And oftentimes in the early church, you found, and see, we don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to us. But in the early church, oftentimes wives would abandon husbands and husbands would abandon wives and slaves would escape from masters. Now, we don't understand that concept at all, right? But they would do these things under the guise that I am a new creation. I'm a new being. And all these other routines, all these other things that bind me, all these other obligations, I can just let go of because of what Christ has done. And this is what Paul is writing to, is addressing in part in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 18. Colossians 3, 18 through 24, he says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And then our key verse, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. 
Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord whom you serve. We all have routines. We have marriages. We have work. Now, now can, we can, we, can we accept that, that we don't understand? I don't understand the concept of a master and a slave, right? I don't understand that, and that's a very difficult thing. But Paul's talking about somebody that's stuck in a relationship that is existing in that time. And it's, it's hard sometimes in these routines to live beyond the routine. You ever hear the phrase, it's hard to soar with eagles when I'm stuck with a bunch of turkeys? <laughs> You know, the routine of life kind of feels like that. Uh, we, 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 we want to have this spiritual high all the time, but then we have to drive to work. <laughs> Anybody deal with that? I mean, even preachers deal with that every once in a while. You think, oh, I work at the church. Still work, folks. Maybe, maybe you, you want that spiritual high, but there's that relationship that just isn't working and, and you kind of feel like you're stuck in that obligation, that routine. See, we want to break from the routine. We're, we're kind of like this lady. <coughs> hey, Amanda. Sorry to bother you, but I got to take a sick day. Moms don't take sick days. Moms take DayQuil. The non-drowsy coughing, okay, aching fever. Social part, that's good. You know, we don't get a break from it, do we? We've got to just keep moving on and keep going, even in the routines of life. I'll never forget, I had a guy one time that I was praying with at an altar, and we prayed a long time. I mean, you're, you're talking, you know, past half an hour and still praying, and everybody's gone, and, and, and you know, he's still wanting to pray, and, you know, there's things he's dealing with at home. And, and finally, I told him, I said, listen, we could stay here all day. But at some point, you've got to get up from here and go and be true to what you've committed here. And see, that's the case in life. It's one thing to sing, so will I, in the midst of a congregation with other people. But to live, so will I, in the midst of our routines is the point. That is holiness. Holiness is not a spiritual experience in a service, but holiness is a life lived in the routine where God shines through. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And, I, and as I thought about this, I, I, I would take Paul, what Paul's saying here, and, I, and I, will, I would bring it down to this. Following Jesus is not an inv invitation to escape the routines of life. Instead, following Jesus is an invitation to return our ordinary routines to God. That in all that we do, we have this understanding that God can somehow bless it and use it for His glory and His good. The next week at school... At home, while shopping, while working, is there a way to live that God can be honored, 
God can be glorified. One day we were at the, the pool at Carolina Beach, and a pool cleaner came in. And you know, I was sitting there thinking, man, what a great job, you know, a pool cleaner at a beach. You know? And so he's cleaning, and he's a nice guy, and so we struck up a conversation. I asked him, I said, well, how many pools do you have to clean today? He said, 24. <laughs> this is 13. Somebody called in sick, and so I'll be going till 9 o'clock today. And I said, well, I guess that's why we call it work, isn't it? <laughs> you know, whether you're cleaning beaches on Car- or cleaning pools in Carolina Beach, or whether you're working at Honda, or whether you're an accountant at Cardinal, or whether you're working at Nationwide, wherever you're working, whether you're working at home, there's routines, there's obligations, and it's work. It's not always easy. You know, we all want to live beyond the ordinary. We want to live these extraordinary lives, but but we need to redeem our ordinary lives if we want to live extraordinary lives, we want to live holy lives. And when God becomes the focus in our obligations, we lose any excuse to do less than our best. If God is the focus of your marriage, you lose any excuse than to give your marriage your very best. If God is the focus of school, you lose any excuse than to do less than your best in school. If God is your focus at work, you lose any excuse to do less than your best at work. So this is interaction time. And, and I want you guys to think to yourself, and, and, and you can talk to your neighbor if you want to talk about it just for a second. Think of the routine you're dreading this week. And now if your routine is dealing with your neighbor, don't talk to your neighbor, please. So, so think about that obligation, that routine, that next week you're going to have to participate in. And, and even sitting now, you're dreading it. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's something in the home. And, and, and answer this question. To accomplish, to do this thing that I dread, for God, I must fill in the blank. So, so let's, let's use an example. At work, you have to deal with a bad coworker. I'm dealing with a, a bad coworker at work, and so to do this, for God, I must give me some things. Give me some answers. Say that. Pray with him. Forgive him. What else? Encourage him. Show mercy. You know, because God showed mercy to us. All these are right answers. And, and so, any other answers, any other routines you're dreading, and, and what answers, what, what has God given you this morning to do this for God, I must? You can call him out. That's an invitation. Forget about yourself. Who else? Anybody else? Love others. Be in prayer. I wrote down, I've got to work hard. Right? That's one. I've got to be honest. You know, even if you're dealing with dishonest people at work, you have to be honest. I have to be thankful for the opportunities that God has given me. All these things are, are things that 
allow us to do it for God and not ourselves. Now, as I began preparing this sermon, the question that I asked myself uh, that I kind of began the premise with was this, what if Jesus lived in the real world? (laughs) And I, I kind of chuckle at that because, of course, Jesus lived in the real world. But don't you sometimes feel like Jesus may have lived in the real world, but he doesn't live in my real world, right? That, that somehow it's a little bit different, that this first century, it, it's sometimes difficult for me. Maybe it's not difficult for you, but sometimes it's difficult for me to connect this first century Jew with the life that I live. It, it seems so distant. And, and the truth is, Jesus did live in this world. And can I tell you the secondary truth? Jesus still lives in this world. He lives in us. And um, on October 14th, I believe, we're going to start a series called In the Flesh. And, and the premise of the series is buildings cannot contain God. Right? You, you understand that. A building cannot contain God. Human flesh can. Jesus came and dwelled in the fleshly being of Jesus. And now God wants to dwell in us, in our routines. That God's not only interested in connecting with us on high spiritual holidays and sacrifice days and days when we, we worship and when things are going right. God wants to live in your mess. He wants to inhabit your being. He wants to redeem your ordinary life. I began this sermon kind of talking about how do we change our world? You know, I think we change our world. We begin by changing ourselves. We allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign in our hearts. We allow Him to be present in our ordinary lives. And And then it starts by changing our homes and our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our communities. And it doesn't start with extraordinary things, but it starts with ordinary people following Jesus, allowing his Holy Spirit to fill them completely, and they do all things for the glory of God, working as for the Lord. Jesus living within the hearts of ordinary people, going about their business in public routines can change our community. Do you believe that? This week, you're going to get the opportunity to practice that. This week, probably not tomorrow. Who's got to work tomorrow? Anybody have to work tomorrow? Got one worker. We'll pray special for you, Beth. You get to practice this sermon earlier. Yay. Tuesday, we'll be back at work. Tuesday, we'll be back to school. You'll be with family today. Sometimes work's easier than family. Don't say amen, okay? (laughs) Get in trouble. But sometimes work's easier than family. Uh, You know, I I love to go into my office, close the door, and start working. It's just great. You know, nobody bugs me in there. I can hide under the desk. And uh, and it's, but but we're going to step into routines, whatever you do. Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for me.